Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our July 14th, 2011 edition of the show. 4.08 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. Back with us today to share more of his forensic journalism findings as applied to some of the big issues of the day is Russ Baker, Regular listeners to the show will remember his previous appearances here to discuss his groundbreaking and shocking book, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Russ is an award-winning investigative journalist who has written for The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The New York Times, The Nation, The Los Angeles Times, The Washington Post, The Village Voice, and Esquire. He's also served as a contributing editor to the Columbia Journalism Review and is the founder of whowhatwhy.com, a nonpartisan news website. Russ Baker, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot. Hey, it's always uh, great to have you. We always get uh, so much uh, good feedback on uh, what you talk about and present to us here. And uh, so uh, before we get into some of the more recent things you've been uh, covering at Who, What, Why, um, any uh, new developments regarding the specific revelations in Family of Secrets, any new evidence to further sort of bolster those conclusions? Uh, well, um, as as you know, and as I think some listeners may know, Family of Secrets is uh, much more than just uh, when I say just, it's much more than just a massive dig into the Bush family and what really propelled them to power and to the radical things that George W. Bush ended up doing. It's really a, an exploration of um, permanent. Uh, parts of the power structure in America and how they uh, shape the uh, historical trajectory, how they influence who can run and be president, what those people do when they're in power and so forth. And so, you know, much of that uh, is, I think, of ongoing interest as we look at the the Obama administration, uh, we look at... uh, so many fascinating things going on. So, for, for example, uh, they finally got rid of Robert Gates, uh, who was very much a Bush family retainer. Uh, curiously, Obama kept him on for quite a long time, uh, uh, even though he had been George W. Bush's defense secretary. There really never was any adequate explanation of why, because there were so many other people he could have had in in there. And in terms of putting a Republican in the cabinet, he already had another as Secretary of Transportation. Um, And and so so that was curious. And now we see this strange sort of musical chairs uh, where Leon Panetta, who was a strange choice to head up the CIA, didn't make any sense, uh, has now been switched over to uh, to the Department of Defense, uh, and uh, and then now you see uh, a general, a controversial general, uh, brought in 
uh, to run the CIA. Uh, and so there, there are a lot of questions about why he's doing what he's doing uh, and who, his, who is influencing him. Uh, and, and then, of course, there are this, the, the issues that we see at the fore with uh, taxation uh, and with the deficit in terms of what are the possibilities that he even imagines himself uh, able to entertain. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that uh, Panetta was an interesting and, and odd choice and because, it, it, as you point out in your book, that when uh, George Bush Sr. was appointed as CIA director, everybody at the time who weren't really in the know thought that was an odd and interesting choice. And as you point out through your research, it, it really wasn't that odd and interesting knowing his real background. So maybe there are some things about Panetta and some of these other characters that we don't know about, and once we do find out, the choices will make more sense. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible. We do know that Panetta did serve in military intelligence in some capacity uh, when he was a younger man. Uh, what that meant and, you know, whether people serve in intelligence and then leave, uh, certainly some do, some probably serve in intelligence and then don't entirely leave or don't entirely leave behind their connect connections or perhaps obligations. And so, you know, the, yeah, these are fascinating things. I mean, one of the reasons I started our news website, whowhatwhy.com, is because I want to continue uh, exploring these deeper questions uh, that I began asking in, in my book, Family of Secrets. Why, you know, why do these things get done? Why uh, is there this tiny circle of people who, who basically shape the economic policies? Uh, and the, the same names, you know, Geithner, uh, uh, Summers, uh, you know, a lot of these people, I mean, they were there uh, in the 90s, and then they were out, and then they were back again. But, you know, then you get the Republican choices, and you get Paulson. And so whoever it is, they're still very, very close with Goldman Sachs. They're still very, very close uh, with with J.P. Morgan Chase. Uh, and so, you you know, you, you, you begin to wonder, uh, how do these things work? You know, who, who makes these decisions and why? It's because you have to understand that, I mean, first of all, for the Senate to, to confirm, I mean, it's almost a fait accompli. And as far as the president goes, one almost gets the sense, since Obama himself uh, seems to have known almost nothing uh, about, uh, about the economy before he became president, how would he even begin to make decisions or, or even to decide who, who to appoint uh, to those positions, or to keep somebody in the Fed and so on? He's, he's got to bring in a group of people who are going to advise him, and who, who does he even bring in to advise him on these appointments? I mean, we know so so very little about all these things, and so we've really got our work cut out for us. Yeah, and in, and it may be a case of you got to find people who know things about the economy. And you, surely Obama could have possibly made better choices. But when you're thinking of people who do know the insides of how all of that works, there are often people who maybe don't have our best interests at heart, but at least they they know how the machine works. Is, is that not? reasonable to say that well they know how the machine works because they're very much the stewards of the machine 
And, I mean, this is where there's a problem because, you know, I, I, I think that some of these people, when they get in there, they do, you know, shift. They do you sort of, let's say, I don't know if they remove their original hats, but they put another hat on top of it. And, and I think they do, you know, now have conflicting loyalties because they're also trying to get the economy in shape and get Obama reelected. And probably, yeah, they may have a little bit of sympathy with the average person. But the real problem is that they themselves are the architects of the very things that cause the problems. And because of this, they can't repudiate themselves. And so when you have all these folks who were very much for the deregulation that led to uh, all of these uh, financial shenanigans uh, that contributed to the collapse, uh, they can't uh, investigate these things. They can't be in the forefront of significantly reforming those practices because they'd be repudiating themselves in their own uh, their own history, and after all, it's it's this is the, the the basic problem you have with with you know anybody in a position of power is that uh, they're in a position of power because of what they accomplished, and if they renounce their their own uh, central accomplishments, what then do they have to uh, to justify them being at the top? And so this is a kind of a paradox, and it's also a reason why we need to, uh, uh, as a society, raise these questions. Is that gaggle of those three or four or five or ten people really, is that it? I mean, are there no other people who could uh, uh, manage the economy? And, I mean, the answer, uh, I, I think, is that there are, in fact, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds or perhaps thousands of people who would do no more harm and perhaps a great deal less, perhaps be quite a bit more inventive and, and brave and certainly not beholden to those same special interests. So I, I think we really lose an opportunity when we don't uh, uh, search farther afield for talent. And, and, and that applies, by the way, uh, to the presidency itself, that, that unfortunately we only get to choose between this... Uh, uh, the uh, you know sort of let's say the seven dwarfs that have been already selected uh, uh, by the powers that be, right? And when when you do get uh, people that seem to be a little bit outside the the mold of what we ultimately get, someone like say uh, Ron Paul or Dennis Kucinich, they're they're just completely marginalized from the beginning and, and never taken seriously uh, as a candidate by mainstream media, and, and maybe it is that, they, I, I don't know, it, se- it seems to me that, that something weird is going on there, and uh, especially with someone like Ron Paul, who seems to be able to raise lots of money. I'm not saying that I think Ron Paul would be great to have as president, but there, he does offer some alternatives, In but he's marginalized. Is that not how you see it? Oh, they're definitely marginalized, but I mean, if you look historically, uh, much of my work in my book, Family of Secrets, and also with our website, whowhatwhy.com, is about these unseen, um, uh, I don't know quite what to call them, but let's put it this way, the, the, the so-called accidents that uh, seem to afflict the democratic system. And if you look historically, uh, not only have, been, have people been, been marginalized who were, who were easy to marginalize, and I, I mean, I think to some extent Paul and Kucinich are, are, are a little bit easy to marginalize, um, not, uh, uh, not that they don't bring some real value, uh, but just some of their personal style, I think. But, but besides that, uh, uh, you look at people who were not easy to marginalize, like Gary Hart, uh, uh, like John Edwards, 
there, there have been quite a few of these folks uh, who, who took a fall. And uh, it's interesting to sort of think about that and to wonder exactly what was it um, uh, that, you know, Howard Dean, I mean, what was it exactly that took out these otherwise very, very viable candidates? And people will say, well, it was their own uh, uh, shortcomings. But in fact, I mean, uh, the people who get to the top are full of shortcomings, and yet those things are not magnified to that extent. So I think we need to look at not just the, the role of the media uh, in in sort of agitating for the the uh, the, the more uh, 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 acceptable candidates of the establishment, but also in 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 uh, allowing the the vilification and destruction of populists, uh, and whether whether the media are are complicit in this or whether it just is they're just jumping on as they now are as appropriately of course with Rupert Murdoch you know the media doesn't have a lot of guts and so they wait for uh, they wait for an opportunity when somebody's already down and then they start getting their kicks in too yeah yeah you mentioned uh, Howard Dean I always thought that one was very strange because I, I, I don't see anything that he did that was that scandalous I mean there was this huge deal made out of out of a a scream, and then all of a sudden he wasn't considered a viable candidate anymore. Uh, and that that was just rather bizarre. How this sort of uh, uh, kingmaker sort of effect uh, was put into play there. I I, th- I thought that one was rather stunning. Yeah, I mean, I I'm inclined to to want to look into the mechanics of uh, failure, and so. I agree with you. All of those things interest me greatly. I, I think in general that the big media that we look to do not have those kind of instincts, that they have a very, very short uh, framework uh, to which they look. In other words, they look at, they say, he screamed. Uh, well, the, we, and we can, by the way, we could talk more about that, whether that really was a scream, <laughs> yeah. and if it was, whether it was inappropriate, uh, whether it was something indicative of something really wrong with him, uh, which I don't think it, it, it was. Uh, but, but also just the, what they do is they, they, you know, they, they look at it, they just say, you know, he acted this way, he, he had uh, lost uh, in, in Iowa, uh, these, put these two things together and he's out. Uh, but you know, I mean, there was much more to look at in terms of what he, the challenges he faced in Iowa and uh, the extent to which he really did have a grassroots campaign. I mean, certainly, you know, Obama uh, had a number of so-so results and reversals early on. I mean, there was it was not clear at all that he was the front runner, uh, and he just kept fighting back from each uh, each each uh, defeat or each reversal, and uh, there was no effort to uh, adjudge him out. You know, nobody would say, this guy is finished, that's it, end of story. If enough people had said that in the media, he probably would have been finished. But because they didn't, he continued on his way. And so there obviously was some sentiment that this was a man who should be permitted to continue on his way. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Who makes those decisions and how do they make those decisions of, of when... Uh, a uh, candidate is wounded to uh, go in for the kill or to step back and let him get back up. You know, that it just, it, why was Obama treated this way? Why was Howard Dean treated this way? You know, it, it, there, there's a lot we can learn there. And I'm sure as you go on with your research uh, at Who, What, Why, we'll learn uh, 
much more about this. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here, and I'm speaking with Russ Baker, and uh, he is the author of Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. And he uh, currently runs the uh, website whowhatwhy.com. And uh, Russ, how is uh, Who, What, Why evolving? I know you, you started out with a, um, a really good uh, purpose, uh, which you've gone into a little bit here uh, this afternoon. Uh, so what are you, has it become what you wanted it to be, or is it working toward what you want it to be? Or what exactly are you guys doing now? How is it playing out? Yeah, I mean, Who, What, Why is a real underdog. Uh, we set it up that way. Uh, we, 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 we are happy being underdogs. We would like to be slightly better funded underdogs. Uh, but other than that, we're, we're, we're quite happy with it. We're a nonprofit news organization. We are not partisan. We are not beholden to any party, group, individual, company, advertiser, etc. Uh, our goal is to simply look at things going on in the world and where we smell a rat, to dig in a little deeper, figure out what's going on, and then basically share that information with others. And that is, of course, journalism at its purest. So we feel good about what, what we're doing. Uh, whowhatwhy.com is a fairly new site. The readership seems to be growing Steadily, uh, we're just now beginning to receive donations from readers uh, and anyone who wishes to do that. Uh, at the top of our website, on the right-hand side, there's a, a donate button. But so we're 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 building that, and as we're able to, we will be bringing in additional staff. Uh, you're seeing a few more bylines now on the site, uh, and we're having fun. The other thing about who, what, why is that it's people tell us they enjoy going to it, and that's kind of a, a ter- the term enjoy is not usually something you associate with news. We're not doing, uh, you know, trashy celebrity stuff or photos of kitty cats, and we're still uh, uh, giving people information, but meaningful information, in a way that they sort of enjoy uh, consuming it uh, by doing, by writing in a kind of a snappy, irreverent way, by adding into the mix. Uh, we find things like videos of uh, George Carlin and Bill Hicks routines where they're, where they're offering their own kind of media, their own kind of informed commentary on a societal conditions and events. And so that mix, I think, with the, with the comments from readers and, and all of that, I, I think people like it. Well, yeah, anything that has links to George Carlin and uh, Bill Hicks is <laughs> is going to be good in my book. I mean, you know, two uh, people who really uh, tap into wisdom through humor, and we certainly need more of that. And I, I post a lot of uh, links to Who, What, Why on my Facebook page, and I get a lot of good feedback on, wow, that that's uh, really glad you brought that to my attention. And, uh, yeah, so this is... Uh, some uh, serious investigative journalism that often appears there that is not too often found in the corporate media. So uh, something that we definitely need more of out there. In a recent piece uh, that you had on Who, What, Why called uh, What They Don't Tell You About Oil Industry Tax Breaks, uh, you discuss uh, recent uh, failed Democratic legislation aimed at rolling back some oil industry tax breaks, and you get into the ugly history regarding the oil depletion, oil depletion allowance. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? 
Yeah, I mean, that's something that sounds so dry that right away almost anybody's eyes are going to glaze. Uh, but unfortunately, those are the things that matter the most. Um, historically, uh, much of the oil industry, uh, and particularly the misnamed sector called the oil independents, uh, have, have considered the oil depletion allowance a big part of their profit picture. This goes way, way back. Uh, and it basically uh, is, is the kind of thing where uh, the more uh, oil they uh, find uh, and, uh, and, and process, uh, the more they're able to take a write-off for the depletion uh, of their reserves. Um, and that's kind of an interesting thing, because if you try to apply that to almost anything else, nobody gets a break like that. <laughs> uh, and so this has been so uh, attractive. In fact, uh, the way it was structured, some people were actually able to even uh, uh, not just um, uh, uh, take the allowance, but actually... Uh, uh, make money off of it, actually uh, uh, make more off of it uh, uh, than, than just a tax benefit. And so uh, this has been in play now for decades with presidents saying it's an unfair advantage these people are being given. They're already uh, so profitable and they don't need it. And so a lot of these, like the so-called wildcatter is uh, historically in Texas and Oklahoma and what have you, uh, were the fiercest advocates of this. Uh, and they've been very, very influential in uh, backing candidates for the presidency, backing senators and so forth. And if you look at uh, how the U.S. Senate is configured, states like Louisiana that have smaller populations or Oklahoma still have two U.S. senators, just like, say, California or New York do. And so they have disproportionate influence, and those candidates, of course, very much promoted by those people, fight like the Dickens to keep them. Uh, various presidents started looking at that as a natural thing to cut. Uh, and as I point out in my book, Family of Secrets, and also in that piece you referred to on our website, whowhatwhy.com, uh, uh, the presidents who began taking a look at that and considering maybe doing something different with the oil depletion allowance, bad things happen to them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, Eisenhower himself uh, had some interest in that. Uh, Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, before he was assassinated, was taking a really hard look at it, and there was a high probability that he intended in a, new, in a second term to do away with the oil depletion allowance. Uh, Johnson, of course, was totally in the, in the pocket of these guys, and so he didn't do anything. The Bushes, of course, in their pocket. Um, but uh, Richard Nixon, interestingly enough, uh, uh, also seen as not properly loyal by these oil people, and in Family of Secrets, I actually describe where they had a young George H.W. Bush, uh, then a congressman, fly out to California to uh, to the Western White House to talk to Nixon and to try to get him to uh, to commit to uh, sticking by them. Uh, and he actually writes in this letter, you know, thank you for uh, for for doing that, and thank you for telling the oil industry that I. Uh, that I, I can't remember the exact quote, that I bled for the oil depletion <laughs> allowance. So Bush himself was sort of terrified of these guys. So, yeah, Nixon started out as when he was a, a congressman, he was for the oil uh, depletion allowance. And then once he became president, he, he wavered a bit. And then uh, the oil interest, as uh, represented by George H.W. Bush, uh, 
came to <laughs> set him straight or try to right. set him well, straight. Well, well, you know, when you become president, you do have to weigh all of these things. And so he started weighing that and seeing that that was not in the interest of the country. There also was the issue of uh, oil imports. And so these domestic producers wanted to continue having uh, controls on uh, oil imports. But then other backers of his, other powerful backers, particularly uh, in industry, wanted the cheap oil that they could get from the imports. And so uh, you start seeing these big sectors struggling with each other behind the scenes. I think more often than not, uh, when presidents decide to do things, it's not because they're, uh, as, as advertised, that they're uh, doing something that the public wants. It's because one faction uh, of the establishment has prevailed over another, and then the thing is disguised as being uh, something that's good for the rest of us. So is it kind of like there are these competing power uh, interests, like almost like crime families, and it ends up being uh, which one are you more afraid of? Well, sure, and in fact, I mean, one interesting interpretation of American history, at least of, of American history of the last few decades, is that of a of a power struggle between kind of two loose factions? One called the traitors, T R A D E R S, and the other the warriors. Um, I believe I I get into that somewhat in my book, Family of Secrets. Uh, and these are even factions, say, within the Republican Party. The the warriors uh, representing. Uh, in other terms, have been used for them. Uh, somebody wrote a book about the Yankee Cowboy War, referring mm-hmm. to the the warriors as the uh, as the cowboys and the uh, the traders as the Yankees. And these are different factions. One sort of isolationist, well, both isolationist and very interested in waging war in order to expand the boundaries of the greater United States. Uh, they were the people. Uh, their 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 forebears were very much for pushing. The, uh, the American frontiers westward and southward uh, and gobbling up more and more territory. And then, of course, once they hit the Pacific Ocean and had taken part of Mexico, then where else could you turn? Well, you had to turn to uh, grabbing pieces uh, that were uh, discrete and not actually contiguous to the United States, so Latin America, uh, the Philippines, what have you. Um, and so uh, that's you know one attitude. The other, the traders, very much more the kind of international banking set, the the sorts of people you'd associate, say, with David Rockefeller and the, the Dulleses and the Council on Foreign Relations, much more interested in having alliances with and working with people in other countries. And, of course, it's not the people in other countries as much as it is their, their peers at that level. Um, you know, all this talk about, uh, you know, the nationalistic and jingoistic talk um, a lot of that is a way of manipulating the people in this country, in fact, the people in any country, with the idea that it's us against them, when in fact there, there may be an us against them, but it's not necessarily uh, ordinary Joes against ordinary Joes. <laughs> it's actually uh, uh, ordinary Joes everywhere against uh, people who would be their masters. Yeah, very small, select, elite and and then there yeah the, the, you mentioned the, the Yankees versus the Cowboys and the Traders versus the Warriors but there are times when they their interests um intersect and usually oh, that's absolutely. that's to our detriment <laughs> yeah well certainly they definitely come together and uh, uh when there's when there's an external threat if there was a candidate who was truly 
populist, uh, truly, you know, talking about uh, what the Bushes uh, described as class warfare, but not really class warfare, but just really talking about the fact that uh, over the past, what, 50 years or so, I mean, if you look since Eisenhower, when, when, when the wealthy in this country paid tax rates as high as 92%, and still were wealthy, they were still wealthy, they still, you know, had their fancy cars, and they still lived in mansions, and they still uh, took their uh, winter vacations in Bermuda, what had you, and, and they had a grand lifestyle, and still gave uh, uh, their inheritances to their, to their children, uh, and, you know, with those tax rates so incredibly low now, but uh, still, you know, resisting this kind of thing. And so, uh, so yeah, so, so you know, whenever there's, there's a threat or somebody starting to say, hey, you know what, you guys get so many benefits out of, out of this country and out of this system, and you really sure don't pay your fair share, uh, uh, they, you know, those, those people will, 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 will come together uh, and, and, do what they can or what they need to 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 make sure that somebody like that does not get to the top, or if they do, is unable to actually carry out those kinds of reforms. Yeah, it, to, to get back to the recent uh, legislation that uh, the Democrats and a couple of Republicans try to pass uh, regarding these uh, oil industry tax breaks, they the oil. Uh, depletion allowance. It wasn't like they were even going to do away with that. It was just going to be a slight rollback. Is that all they were proposing there? Yeah, I have to go back and look at all the details. But I remember that when I reported it on WhoWhatWhy.com at the time, I was appalled at how timid this stuff was. Uh, it was not going to apply to most of the oil companies. It was only going to apply to the few very biggest ones. I'm sure this had been figured out that for the very big ones, this was not going to be a big hit. Uh, and then for the so-called smaller ones, which actually tend to be fiefdoms dominated by very wealthy individuals, you, you, just to think historically of figures like H.L. Uh, uh, Hunt uh, or Clint Murchison, those kinds of billionaires, or at least they certainly would be billionaires now, but I think they were billionaires then, uh, those guys were considered the so-called independents. Those are the ones who would not be affected by this legislation. And so it was very, very weak tea to begin with, and and even that didn't pass. Right, right. And Clint Murchison and some of these other people you mentioned uh, you know, in uh, Family of Secrets, and uh, you also go quite in-depth into what happened to uh, Richard Nixon, I mean, uh, a- after uh, sort of challenging these guys on some of this stuff. And, well, I mean, we know what happened to Nixon. His presidency went down the drain uh, due to Watergate, but you go into how that was a contrived thing and that it, there's uh, some... Uh, indication that it was related to this uh, type of behavior, uh, why he was brought down. Yeah, you, you see, the thing is that you can't understand what's going on right now. You can't understand what's going on with Obama, what's really happening, uh, by just watching this kind of kabuki play, you know, uh, uh, on the surface. Uh, without understanding that there are these enormously powerful forces operating behind the scenes, and without understanding what came before. Unfortunately, most of what we think we know about American history turns out to be utter fiction. Uh, And as you know, that was my discovery in the five years that I spent researching my book, Family of Secrets, was that most of the things that I thought to be true uh, about what had happened to Kennedy, uh, what had happened to Nixon, turned out to be false. And that, that, that the false stories, what they really do is they cover up always 
this story of a limited uh, uh, sector of of America exerting tremendous influence. And the reason they cover that up is because if we were to openly discuss this, we would be talking about an oligarchy. And if we talked about an oligarchy, we would have trouble uh, accurately characterizing our uh, political system as a democracy or, or a republic, if you prefer, uh, because we would see that it really is in many ways much more like uh, so-called developing countries where the public really doesn't have any say. And, you know, we, we, we like to think we have say because the, what the media does is they, they're, they're so happily uh, 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 pouring tremendous resources into this grand entertainment we call uh, uh, presidential, you know, uh, uh, elections. Mm-hmm. And, and and they like them because uh, uh, every hour, every day, every week, whatever, there are new developments, and it doesn't cost very much to cover it. You know, every time uh, there's some new controversy about Michelle Bachman or what have you, none of these things actually matter in the scheme of things, but they're very entertaining. They they mirror uh, the the transgressions of Hollywood figures. And so they're fun, and we enjoy them. They're a guilty pleasure, and we love to like or to complain about various characters and study their foibles and their ups and downs and to laugh uproariously and to be indignant and so forth. And so it's a really a kind of a childish play, but that's what it is. It goes on and on. The media, as I say, uh, happy to cover that. And so uh, uh, very difficult to cover the kinds of things that you and I are talking about uh, and and so they simply don't and people don't want their careers to be harmed by seeming to uh, to be uh, 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 perceiving things alarming things on a scale that might make them seem to be a little bit out of whack and that is a grave concern I think for most working journalists yeah, and and we've seen uh, some things happen to people who do look into a little deeply. And I mean, there was the issue of uh, uh, what uh, the guy that was doing the story on uh, Bush's uh, fake military records, uh, uh, big news guy, big news TV news network, and yeah, Dan Rather. Yeah, uh, yeah, Dan Rather, and it's kind of like, yeah, that just kind of like, oh. This this don't talk about this anymore. Don't talk about this anymore. And uh, but uh, of, of course you talk about uh, this in Family of Secrets and uh, uh, so the Bush dynasty. Well, that, that's a perfect example because there's a man who you would have thought would be too big to take down, but he messed with the wrong people. Uh, he didn't follow the rules, uh, and they they kept going after a sitting president, and then these strange and bad things began to happen, and uh, uh, along the theme that we were on earlier about these bad things that happened to uh, all of these sort of populist candidates. Here's a newsman taking a populist approach, and suddenly it all blows up in his face. Uh, I thought there was more to that, and as you know from the pages of Family of Secrets, I document that indeed there was. And what we see in all these cases, again, is this is not something you're allowed to do in our system. And if you do, uh, things are going to happen to you. Um, in the case of my work with Family of Secrets, it was a little bit different. Uh, basically, it wasn't a matter of uh, me being taken down because, of, for various reasons, that that can't happen, or at least has happened so far. But what instead happened, which is probably more insidious, is just silence. 
And so uh, uh, we've been unable consistently to get the kind of material that we're sharing now with anyone listening onto your favorite uh, major television shows, even those shows that people think of as uh, critical of the system and irreverent and edgy, they could simply not cover any of this. Um, we've become, I'm proud to say, Family of Secrets has become a bestseller, but only by uh, radio, only by word of mouth and the Internet and, and social media. Uh, we've had to go around the conventional vehicles, but simply those shows funded by corporations and uh, full of advertising by corporations uh, make their calculations, and they say, you know what, this stuff is just too hot. We'll, we'll, we'll just stay away from it. Uh, you haven't even uh, been able to uh, get uh, Bill Maher to invite you on his show? Uh, have not been on his show, have not been on Jon Stewart or Rachel Maddow or Keith Olbermann, uh, any of these shows. And, and you know, I don't want to uh, point fingers. I, I think these, these are good folks and they have good shows. And we, they know about Family of Secrets. Copies have been made available to them and their staffs, and along with synopses. And, you know, the fact that uh, uh, Family of Secrets was published by a major publisher, the same company that originally published Harry Potter, that the book uh, has 90 pages of footnotes or something like that, that it's, that it's got endorsement blurbs on the cover from folks like Rather and Gore Vidal and, 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 and Bill Moyers and so forth, that, that I myself have a somewhat storied background in journalism, that all of this is, uh, as hot as it is, it is also equally solid, and even so, they, for some reason, could not find a way to uh, to have this material featured. Well, that's uh, that's uh, sad. Well, we're doing what we can here, and again, just word of mouth. Uh, KUCI, I know other radio stations you've been on, and we just keep putting the word out, and especially your ongoing work as well with uh, who, what, why. In a, a, an article uh, there recently uh, that uh, caught my attention was. Uh, titled uh, What's Up with Obama, Torture, and Secrecy, and you discuss uh, therein the the recent Supreme Court ruling that uh, supposed state secrets trump justice for torture victims. In your correspondence uh, with uh, Stephen Aftergood, who runs the Project on Government Secrecy, seems to conclude that the Obama administration's thwarting of justice for Bush-era torture victims can only seemingly be explained as an uh, effort to maximize executive power. Is that right, and is that what happens when you give a certain entity too much power? They want to hold on to it. It's very hard to get them to relinquish it, even if the, regardless of politics. Um, you know, I, I asked, uh, you mentioned Stephen Aftergood. He's a very well-respected figure who's as knowledgeable as anyone about uh, the national security state, and quite a careful fellow. Uh, and I asked him, Stephen, what do you make of uh, Obama's policy on this stuff? Because he's just like Bush, uh, only more so. And uh, on on all of these things, I mean, uh, not giving up uh, an inch. There actually have been, to be fair, there have been a few concessions. They now finally uh, have a case where they're going to be trying someone uh, uh, in a in a in a civil court uh, in a uh, rather than in a military one uh, and a couple of other changes but in many ways not changing at all uh, not looking at the abuses not only not investigating 
prior practices or uh, uh, following up on the international calls to look at um, uh, a possible uh, a war crimes on the parts of uh, uh, Bush, uh, Cheney, Rumsfeld, and so forth, but also uh, uh, doing, uh, continuing to to carry out those kinds of policies moving forward. And so the question was, why would he do that? And and Stephen's conclusion is that somehow he's uh, essentially sort of captive of whatever elements want to preserve this, this this sort of imperial presidency. Now, I don't think that that's him himself so much caring about that, but he's he's listening to people who are telling him that we, we need to do these things. And unfortunately, uh, I think that they're all nails in the coffin of, of democracy. I think that they're all moving toward uh, a world in which we are uh, uh, surveilled and spied upon uh, and uh, constrained and unable to exert our rights because, of course, when they're not willing to start questioning uh, the, the ability of the U.S. government to grab people who, by the way, many of whom, it turns out, were innocent, and to incarcerating them under the most brutal circumstances and to torture them, uh, no habeas corpus, no, no, no right to counsel and so forth, uh, 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 that is, affects all of us. And this is this kind of creep, I think, toward what you can only say is, is, is some sort of, um, you know, eventual, uh, certainly authoritarianism, uh, if not totalitarianism. Yeah, I, I think it's that when you have an unchecked intelligence establishment, you get generally led down this the same path that authoritarian regimes go down. And in that, as you document so well in Family of Secrets, we've had this unchecked intelligence establishment for quite some time. I mean, there have been little uh, pieces that come in now and then that sort of seem to keep it in check. The, uh, was it the Church uh, Commission? Uh, uh, the Church yeah. Committee. And, 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 and yet, and yet, uh, uh, in fact, most of the revelations that people think uh, showed that the system works uh, or, or, or assume that, that reforms resulted, uh, in fact, in most of those situations, I'm not sure that happened at all. I think a lot of these things are what they call a limited hangout where you, you sort of you show a little bit of something uh, and you make that little of something uh, the whole thing, and it isn't. And so uh, I'm increasingly skeptical even of uh, the so-called family jewel story, uh, which was supplied to, to the great investigative reporter Seymour Hirsch back in the early 1970s. I write about this in my book, Family of Secrets, uh, where uh, the, the uh, CIA director, Colby, uh, came forward with uh, abuses by the CIA. And, you know, there was all this outrage. But, in fact, if you look at the abuses they came forward with, they were pretty tepid. Uh, and they were nothing compared to what even we already knew or, or surmised was going on around the world. And so, for example, they said, yes, there was illegal wiretapping of, uh, you know, anti-war activists. But uh, in terms of the average American, that doesn't sound so bad to them. Uh, uh, what they didn't admit to was fairly significant domestic operations in the United States that the, that the CIA may have been and may even still today have a capacity and be operating in this country, and they are simply forbidden uh, by their charter from doing that. Yeah, and this brings me to another uh, 
story you, you referenced on uh, who, what, why, and I mean, you know, this whole Bush era torture policy that hasn't been totally undone by Obama is this really dark stain. But you know, an earlier and related stain is the U.S. government experiments on humans, uh, on American humans, uh, particularly the MK Ultra program. And you wrote something about this some years back. It, can you tell us what you learned with that research? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, you know, this was admitted to again uh, during that church committee period or the Pike Committee, which is the, the House uh, Investigative Committee. Uh, there were admissions that there had been abuses. And so this is, again, what I was talking about, where they, they say, yes, yes, we did these things. We don't want to admit it, but we did, and we're sorry we shouldn't have done these things. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a kid uh, trying to get out of trouble with uh, her or his parents, and you say, yeah, I did this thing. You don't say, I'm doing it, and I'm still doing it, and I intend to continue doing it. You say, yeah, I did this thing, and I shouldn't have. And uh, they were doing the most appalling things uh, to human beings, and not just to foreigners, but to American citizens, uh, destroying people's lives with a huge quantities of LSD and other substances to see how they would respond. Uh, and then they have all of these cover stories. They say, they always say that, oh, anything that they did was because they were just, it was part of a program to test and to protect, say, American soldiers in case they were uh, uh, being held by the enemy so they could learn how to resist. Uh, efforts to get information out of them. But in fact, it's just as likely that these were offensive measures designed to be used against others and to get information out of them. They were also very interested in this notion of a Manchurian candidate, and they wanted to see, it wasn't just the U.S., I mean, the Soviets and the Chinese and the Koreans were all doing this. They wanted to see whether it was possible to basically engineer uh, unwitting human killing machines. And so uh, uh, this country was was no cleaner uh, in terms of these kinds of things. By the way, there's another fascinating thing. I don't know much about this. Uh, we ran across this uh, documentary trailer uh, uh, you can find on our website, whowhatwhy.com. Up at the top, there's a sort of a moving carousel, and there's something there for a, a documentary called Hole in the Head. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and this appears to be true. Now, I haven't been able to do independent research on it, but this documentary, which is uh, coming out, is about experiments that were conducted in the 19, uh, late 1920s, I believe, or in the 1930s, by young black children in Indiana where they were taking them into a little room and basically cutting off the tops of their heads and irradiating them to see what happened. I mean, this is so, so horrific. Uh, and and this story has never been told before. Yeah, and and you can find uh, links to this, references to all of this at whowhatwhy.com. And this is uh, the kind of thing we need to uh, be talking about more. And we know the corporate mainstream media is going to ignore most of this, and uh, that's why you, Russ, are doing this, and I uh, applaud you for it. And those of you listening to the show, I urge you to go check out whowhatwhy.com and also to check out the book, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, in the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. Uh, Russ, we're, uh, we've got you know, a couple minutes left here. Anything you want to leave us with? 
Um, I guess, you know, I, I know that whenever I talk about these things at length, uh, uh, I always hear that people are fascinated. There are always certainly uh, some folks, maybe a majority, who uh, are fascinated but also uh, uh, feel a little bit that the air has been let out, uh, that, they're, that, they're, uh, that, of course, this is, you know, d- discouraging. Uh, and the message that I would convey is that we need to do this work. We need to get in and dig. We need to expose uh, the festering sores to the disinfecting, qualities of fresh air and sunlight, and in that sense, uh, our going through these kinds of uh, methods and procedures and wanting to know more about how things actually operate, that in the end, this is all not negative, it's positive, that it's good for us, and and only good things can result from that uh, determination to get to the bottom of things. Yeah, but you can't move past things until you acknowledge them first. And, uh, again, the uh, the website, whowhatwhy.com, and that book that will blow your mind in just all of its revelations and completely well-documented, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. That is Russ Baker, our guest today. Russ, thanks so much for spending time with us again. Oh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much. All right. Take care now. Yes, Russ Baker, and, yeah, yeah. Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years, a long title, and uh, but it's an enticing title, and as it should be in, again, the website, whowhatwhy.com. So that just about does it here out the rabbit hole uh, for today here on KUCI. I'm Robert Larson, and I'll be talking to you next week. And I'll remind you once more, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. If you uh, want to give me some feedback on the show, you can do that by emailing me at rglarson at org. You can also find me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. So, yes, you are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and I am going to leave you with some music by Wayne Kramer. Be talking to you next week. Oh yeah, and don't forget stay tuned for Counterspin and Planetary Radio.